What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for joining us on the Eden Podcast. We are so glad to have you. Today, we're beginning a brand new series of messages called You Belong Here. And in this series, we're going to talk about the power of community and why your voice matters. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get started. So I want to say thank you to Dan for trusting me to be up here. <laughs> All right. So I'd like to start with a quick story. Um, years ago in the Himalayas, this was before the time of vehicles and technology, so years ago, um, there was no modern method of traveling. A monk and another man set out from one village to go to another village. And of course, the Himalayas are covered in snow. It's a difficult path. But so they set out early morning because they wanted to reach the other village before nightfall when the temperatures would go down. So they set out, and as they walked, it began to snow. And so, of course, that makes it harder to get there, right? As they walked, they came across another man unconscious in the snow. And so the monk immediately said, we must help him. And the other man said, no. If we pick him up, as it is, it's going to take us a longer time because it's snowing. We, will be, we won't even reach in time before nightfall. So I'm going, the monk said. Okay. He bent down, he picked up the man, he strapped him to his back, and he started off. A blizzard came up, and so the monk sheltered against the side of the mountain with this man strapped to his back until he could continue on. Eventually, he reached the village, hours later, much later. But he reached the village, and he was able to help the man, and so that man did not die. A few days later, he went in search of his other companion, who had left the village with him, but could not find him anywhere. He had not reached. Days later, they found the other man dead on the side of the road. Because of the blizzard, he had fallen, and there was no one to pick him up, and so he had frozen to death. Because the monk had picked up this other man, their combined body heat had kept him warm, and they had reached safely. And so both of them survived. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 reads, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. The point of these verses is fairly clear. There is strength in numbers. We need others. If you think about it carefully, there is really very little that we can accomplish in life without others. There is a very famous African proverb which says, it takes a village to raise a child. I will go further and say, it takes a village to live. So 32 years and three days ago, my daughter was born with a cleft lip and palate. She required surgery. We took care of it. I thank God that she was my first child, because then I had the energy and the time to take care of her. Um, when she was nine months old, I was pregnant again. And so 
18 months later, I had two kids, okay? And they were like twins, because by the third month, we realized, or I realized, as a special educator, that my daughter was developmentally delayed. And so she was going to be a child with special needs. But I, again, thank God that my son was born in time, because she watched him and learned a lot from him. All right? And the, the amazing part of this is that God knows the end from the beginning. And he already knew that I was going to need a, be, have a child with special needs. And he had ordered my steps so that I would become a special educator before I married, before I had my children. So that when my child was born, I knew what to do for her. He also went further and put into place the resources and the people that I would need to be able to raise that child. And so that's the amazing part of the story, really, that God already knows the end from the beginning, and he put all these things into place. So fast forward about a few years, about 26 years ago, I moved into a new small apartment building, nine apartments, with my two little kids, my husband, and didn't know anybody, nobody around. My family was in the process of moving out of the country. This is in India. And so I was pretty much, I was working, and I had help at home during the day. But the only companionship I had was at school. Come home and I have my kids. There were, there were days when I really wanted to have one adult conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Although I loved my kids, I tell you to this day, I love my kids. What I started seeing God do was people that apartment building with the most amazing women. You can see the picture. Can I, can I have the picture? <laughs> so, the new Facebook challenge 10 years ago and now, that's not quite what it is. <laughs> the one up in the left corner is us many years ago. And the one down, the, the other two are last year when I wasn't there. Okay? So you can see the changes. But I watched God bring these women into the apartment and into my life. Sweet, gentle, caring women of faith, including an old friend from Africa, the British girl. <laughs> okay? So we started having Bible studies every week. It became a weekly affair. Friday evenings, and we started early. We would all bring food. We would bring our kids, because they had kids of different ages. I had two young children, and it was very difficult. If you have small children, you know how difficult it is to go anywhere, to do anything, even to get out to church. It becomes a long process. The investment of time, the planning, and sometimes you just give up and say, I don't have the energy for this. I couldn't go to the church. God brought the church to me, right? And so we started the Bible studies. We, um, we brought our kids, we brought the food, and pretty much the whole evening went in fellowship, laughter, and love. And for the next 13 years, we worked, we grew together, we cried together, we raised our children together, we laughed together, we um, celebrated birthdays, we celebrated Christmases and Easter's and every important thing that there was. We just became family. Because my family wasn't there, we became sisters. We became a community, right? 
So, um, it was because of those people, because of those women, that I survived those early years. Um, those of you who have children know how stressful that can be. And having a child with special needs adds stress to a marriage. And I had a shaky marriage. But because of those women, I survived those years. And I can say that God gave me great grace. Now, although we have all moved out from that building, we have um, technology, right? We have Skype, we have Facebook. I can pick up a phone, I can call them. Um, we WhatsApp each other every day. We share a devotion. We share our needs. We pray over things that are still bothering us. We are still in touch. And this is 25 years and still going. All right? And that is my community. So, moving on. What is the de definition of community? The definition of community is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common, a feeling of fellowship with others. God is the creator of family and community. When he created man, it was for the purpose of fellowship and community. And if you read the beginning of Genesis, it says, let us create man in our own image. And that was for the fellowship. God didn't really need us. He just wanted us. And so he created us. All right? Now, these days, we think of church as a building, someplace that you go Sunday mornings for an hour or so, and that's that. That is not the way God sees the church. The first church was not even called a church. It was called an ecclesia, which means a gathering. And um, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it, the beginning of the church is described as follows. Acts 2, 42 to 46. The fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that takes a little bit of sinking in. They sold what they owned to give to those in need. Please note that it doesn't say they did this for their own family or friends. It was for the whole community of believers. How likely are we to do this under any circumstances? And then I go back to my friends again. If there was anything that any one of us needed, we just had to go across the hall and ask. If I didn't have something that I needed in my kitchen to cook, I could go across the hall and borrow it. If I needed something from the store, I could leave my kids and go get it, or I could ask my friend on her trip to the store to get it. That was the kind of fellowship that we had. It's amazing how much you can accomplish when you know there's somebody to back you up, right? Um, we, we babysat a lot for each other. 
<laughs> we took care of each other as kids a lot. The church is actually to be a living body made of different people from different backgrounds and different abilities, yet who function together like a single human body does. In 1 Corinthians 12, Apostle Paul explains God's vision for the church. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, but, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I told you my daughter was handicapped. That was one place where nobody looked at her like she was different. When we had our Friday evenings, my daughter didn't really need to play. She just wanted people around. So she had the option to sit in the middle of the mothers and demand attention or to sit, sit with the kids and watch them play. And those kids learned to play around her, to play with her, to manage around her. My, my sister friend, Angela, who's British, says that her boys learned how to deal with children with disability because of my daughter. To them, she was not different. She was just another child. And that is the way that we train our children, that we are all the same, even though we may look different or be different. It doesn't matter. And this is what it's saying, that there should be no division. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That is what community is. We like to think that we choose our community. In reality, God puts us in the right place to find the right community and then lets us make the decision to move forward. So you may be coming across people that you think you have nothing in common with, but actually you're there for a reason, and you need to explore that. When the first Christians, the new church, had to leave Jerusalem for their own safety, they went where they could, perhaps based on having family in other cities that were accessible to them, or to places where they felt they could continue their businesses or find work. Remember, no phones, no mobiles, no TVs, no newspapers. You didn't know what was happening, you know, 10 miles away unless somebody went there. Moving meant walking or riding a donkey or a cart, carrying all your belongings and traveling for days. So when you left home, you were really leaving everything behind and going somewhere totally new and unknown. But they went and they started new communities and new churches and became neighbors to others. 
you can compare them to the pioneers who left England and came to America to start a new life, to be able to choose their own religion. No doubt you have read stories of how hard it was. Life could get pretty isolated, dangerous, difficult. To survive, people had to build communities. They had to come together and work together. Of course, it's all changed. Now we have airplanes, buses, cars, technology. As I said, I can just pick up a phone and talk to somebody on the other side of the world within minutes. It's all different. But, like Dan said, you can still become isolated and separated just by moving down to the next block or by moving to another city for work or going away to college. You're in a new place, unfamiliar ter territory. You know nobody. It's so easy to become isolated. We still need physical community. In the various letters written to the churches in the New Testament period, here are some of the, the instructions given to the, new to the communities of new believers. Galatians 6.2 and Galatians 5.14. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that even mean? Love your neighbor as yourself? Who is my neighbor? When people asked Jesus, he told them the story of the Good Samaritan. I won't tell you the story right now. But the point of the story is this. Anyone who needs your help is your neighbor. They can be a total stranger on the side of the road. It doesn't matter. They need your help. When those women moved into the building, I didn't know them, except for the one friend who came much later. But I didn't know any of them. They were all strangers. We were all strangers. But we set out to meet, to talk, to become sisters in 13 years. So loving them means, what would you do for yourself? If you needed something, what would you do for yourself? If you needed a hand, if you needed somebody to babysit your child, what would you do for yourself? Love your neighbor as yourself. That is what it means. 1 Peter 4, 8 to 12 reads, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Dan was talking about scars. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What gifts do you have that you can contribute? If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What is the importance of having community? No man is an island. We are shaped by those we let into our lives and those we leave out. Man is created for companionship and fellowship. That is the way God created us. According to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's a psychological table which shows the various needs that human beings need. The third most important need, again, that Dan talked about, is, be, is love and belonging. 
while a lot of this is ideally fulfilled by our families, a large amount of it comes from the communities that we attach ourselves to. Those ladies, my sisters, gave me love and belonging. They made me feel like I was needed. They made me feel like I had something. When you don't have family close, close by, or the friends you grew up with have moved away or changed the direction of their lives, or you have to move for work, where do you go for encouragement and comfort? When you have young children and all your energy is taken up just caring for them, who is your support? Or, if you have now settled down, finished with all the changes in life, not planning to move again, whose neighbor are you? Whose life are you touching? Um, when my daughter, when the Lord decided to take my daughter back home to heaven, it was those women, those sister friends who came in to cry with me, to sit with me, to comfort me, to feed me, to make me sleep. They slept with me. They made sure that I was still together and whole before they left. And that is the strength of community. People who are there in the good times and the bad times. We celebrated every birthday of my children and every birthday of their children. But when we had problems, when there were emergencies, we knew where we could go, just across the hall. <laughs> so among other things, it was because of the strength of the relationships with my sister friends that I could get on with life and become the best that I could be. When one is involved lovingly with a community, it turns you from looking in to looking out. It turns you from saying, look what I don't have, to saying, look what I have. It turns you from saying, help me, to how can I help you? What can I do for you? So I'd like to leave you today with two questions as a challenge to where you are today in your life. Who is your community? Whose community are you? Thank you.